0: Thank you for tuning into to Future Shock. In today's episode, we will be discussing the story of the sacrificial soldiers of Stateville. During World War II, the United States were seeing extremely high rates of malaria infection from soldiers stationed in the Pacific, most notably in Indonesia and the Philippines. The rate of malaria contributed to millions of man-hours lost during the war, meaning that it fostered lost time that would have otherwise been used for strategy or progress in the efforts of facing Japanese control, it is estimated that around 8 million United States soldiers died from malaria between 1943 and 1945. Furthermore, with quinine being the predominant treatment for malaria, Japan cut off its supply to the United States. Due to its devastating infection to the soldiers, the United States began considering alternatives to facing the disease. Stateville Penitentiary opened its doors in 1925. It housed some notable inmates like Larry Hoover, founder of the Gangster Disciples, and Floyd Cummings, convicted murderer who tied in a boxing match against Joe Frazier. It was also the execution site for John Wayne Gacy, one of the most infamous serial killers. March 8, 1944, was the date in which experimentation began. Overseen by the Department of Medicine at the University of Chicago, The doctors not only provided the disease, but they administered alternative medicine and treatment as well, that of which included medication that had not yet been cleared for use on humans and therefore the potency and toxicity of the substances were unknown. Sixteen inmates were to be bitten by malaria-carrying mosquitoes the first day, but most of the mosquitoes did not cooperate until around 3 a.m. March 9th. Providing an uncompromising start. What was the criteria? First off, some means in which inmates were incentivized to participate included shortening their prison sentences or monetary gain between twenty-five and hundred dollars, which today translates to around four hundred and thirty to one thousand six hundred and eighty. They had to be in good physical health, and they had to be confined for eighteen or more months so that follow-up observations could be made. The subjects were nearly all between the ages of twenty-one and forty and they had to have good medical or genetic history that excluded prior exposure to malaria or certain immunities as the doctors explained volunteers who had lived in known malaria heavy areas who gave a history suggestive of previous malarial infection or who were minorities were excluded in order to minimize the factors acquired or natural immunity each candidate underwent a full physical examination and gave his medical history and was routinely subjected to a battery of exams Complete blood count, urinalysis, blood non-protein nitrogen, blood typing, chest x-ray, electrocardiogram, including other relevant means of testing. The mosquitoes were also carefully selected and cultivated. They were infected with the chesson strain of Plasmodium vivax malaria by being allowed to feed on volunteers, and not on any but on those patients who were most prone to be infected by the strain. These mosquitoes were then incubated at the University of Chicago. Once the mosquitoes had bitten the prisoners, they were then dissected and studied under the microscope to determine if their salivary glands had the sufficient degree of infection. There were then prophylactic tests and curative tests administered on the prisoner subjects in order to assess the effectiveness and toxicity of the new anti-malarial drugs. According to miscellaneous sources, none of the Stateville prisoners died from the experiments. The Chicago Daily Tribune reported that none of the volunteering convicts died, but many were made violently ill as a result of their infection with Vivax malaria and subsequent treatment with drugs then in the experimental stage. Contrary to this report, inmate and fellow participant Nathan Leopold reported that there was at least one inmate death from the testing. Leopold also verified that the experimentation was extremely painful for those infected, claiming that the headaches it caused were unlike any he has ever experienced before. There was an ethical dilemma with the means in which they garnered consent from the inmates, one source indicating that a prisoner isn't capable of volunteering themselves for anything. Furthermore, the coercion through monetary gain and shortening their sentences were questioned as manipulative and further questioned the ethics of the experiment. Some of the inmates had reportedly referred to themselves as sacrificial soldiers, glorifying their place in the study akin to serving during World War II, and also framing the ordeal as if it were some sort of redemption. Nathan Leopold also reported that none of the participants complained, even though they were undergoing a lot of pain and stress from infection. A few years later, in February 1947, the Illinois governor, Dwight H. Green, had announced that the 445 participants would be given special consideration for paroles or executive clemency. One historian reported that the Illinois' next governor, Adlai Stevenson, commuted or paroled 317 of the prisoner volunteers, even though some of their convictions were severe. It is reported that the legacy of the Stateville malaria experimentation had long-term impact on research for malaria, but no detailed sources available at the time. Unfortunately, Stateville was brought in as a critical point of justifying Nazi Germany's concentration camp experiments, even though the Nazis had more fatalities and did not have the consent of their subjects. Both cases violated the Nuremberg Code. Thank you for tuning in to Future Shock, a segment in which I explore fascinating and sometimes dark corners of our past, while also contemplating the future of our world.